delighted that you're here, and I hope, as always, that you have your Bible and eager to take that and study along with us as we talk about things that have to do with serving God and going to heaven. The past several weeks, we have been talking about things that have to do with eternity, about life after death, what happens at the point of death, what happens to those who are dead, where are the dead, the second coming, the resurrection from the dead, and tonight we want to focus on the fact that there is a judgment day that is coming. In Hebrews chapter 9 and verse 27, we are all familiar with that text which says it is appointed unto men once to die, and after that, the judgment. And so this text is telling us that there is a judgment day that indeed is coming. Whatever it is, whatever it involves, there is a judgment day. Acts 24 and verse 25 says, Now as he reasoned concerning righteousness, self-control, and judgment to come, Felix was afraid and answered, Go away for now. When I have a convenient time, I will call for you. Felix was told that there is a judgment that is coming. And that's why you need to be right before God and submit to his will by suppressing your own will. That's the point made in that verse. So there is a judgment to come. It's not uncommon for people to think little or nothing about the judgment day. Even among those that are supposed to be the people of God to have very little reflection in thinking forward about there being a judgment day. We perhaps are liking to think that there is going to be a day of resurrection. There'll be a day that we're ushered into heaven, but we don't think a lot a great deal about the judgment day. Let's focus at Romans 2, if you will, just for a moment. We're not going to spend a great deal of time there, though we'll pass from uh, passage to passage and come to Romans 2 several times. But Romans 2 is a passage that deals with the judgment um, deals with the the Jews and the judgment that they were to receive. Uh, And I want you to notice in Romans chapter 2 some attitudes that these folks had. These are the Jews who thought the Gentiles were deserving of the punishment and that judgment was coming upon them, but that they perhaps were exempt from that. So I want you to notice with me at verse 3. Their thought process was that our situation indeed is different. Our situation indeed is different. Look at verse 3. Or do you think, O man, who judge those practicing such things and doing the same, that you will escape the judgment of God? You think the Gentiles are going to face judgment, but you think perhaps that your situation is quite different than everybody else's. Just notice another case in verse 4. They perhaps thought that the goodness of God, the goodness of God was approval. Notice he said, or you despise the riches of his goodness and forbearance and longsuffering, not knowing the goodness of God leads you to repentance. The goodness and the grace and the mercy of God and the longsuffering of God was designed to bring men to repentance, not to give the impression that man is approved of God. And so furthermore, I want you to notice one more is in verse 5, there seems to be no fear. But in accordance with your hardness and impenitent heart, you're treasuring up for yourselves wrath in the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God. It's as if they're continuing to pile up sin, sin upon top of sin, so that they are not fearful at all of the judgment of God. What I want to suggest to you from all of that is that our attitude affects how we live. My attitude toward the judgment affects how I live. If I'm not thinking much about it, that affects how I live. If I'm thinking a great deal about it, it's going to indeed affect how I live. So let's talk this evening about the judgment day, what it is, 
what takes place, the purpose thereof, what's going to take place, who will be the judge and who will be those who will be judged. Let's start with the day. There is a day that is called the judgment day. God has appointed a day for judgment. Let's go to Acts chapter 17, if you will. Let's go to the 17th chapter of the book of Acts, Acts 17, 30 and 31. God has appointed a day. See, God commands all men everywhere to repent because he's appointed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness by that man whom he has ordained, where he be given assurance unto all men in that he hath raised him from the dead. So God has appointed a day of judgment in which he will judge all men. So there is a day that God has appointed for the judgment. Whatever that is, what's done, there isn't a judgment day. It's said to be yet future. Hebrews chapter 9 and in verse 7 says, <clears throat> that is appointed unto man once to die and after that the judgment. That is, it could be that I live to the point of the second coming. We'll say more about that in a few moments. But if I die, the judgment is after my death. And the same thing is true with you. Notice in John chapter 12, Jesus said, The one that rejects me and does not receive my words, the same shall judge him in the last day. So there is going to be a judgment in the last day. So what we're going to be doing in several of these points is just compounding passages and evidence and just trying to build a summary of what does the Bible say about the judgment day. So let's see something else about the judgment day. I know it's going to be after the second coming in the resurrection. Let's go to the book of Matthew, if you will, chapter 13. Matthew chapter 13 and in verse 40. Matthew chapter, this is the explanation of the parable of the tares, the wheat and the tares. We don't take the time to read all of that, but I want you to notice at verse 40. Therefore, as the tares are gathered and burned in the fire, so will it be in the end of the age. There is a judgment that is described in that parable, and it's going to take place in the end of the age. Well, in Matthew chapter 25, that's following on the heels of the discussion of Matthew 24, which deals both with the destruction of Jerusalem and the end of time. And speaking of the end of time, we don't know the day nor the hour. We saw that in Matthew chapter 24. So in Matthew chapter 25, as it is picturing judgment, we'll give a picture of this a little bit later, that the Son of Man will come with his holy angels with him and sit on the throne of glory and all nations will be gathered to him. And you know the rest of the story. We'll come back to this a little bit later. There's the separating of those on the right and those on the left, the sheep from the goats. So at his coming and, and the resurrection, there is going to be a judgment day. We see the same thing in 2 Thessalonians 1, beginning at verse 7. To you who are troubled, rest with us. When the Lord Jesus shall be revealed from heaven in flaming fire, taking vengeance on those that know not God and obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, who shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord. You recall 2 Peter 3, we've talked about this passage several times. It deals with the second coming of the Lord. And notice in 2 Peter chapter 3, as he describes how the scoffers will uh, not believe in that. Notice he said that the heavens which now are and exist are kept in store by the same words reserved for the fire unto the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. And so there is a judgment coming with the second coming. That's what we're wanting to see. Well, now, let's add to that fact that we don't know when that's going to take place. If I don't know when the resurrection is going to take place, and I don't know when the second coming is going to take place, then I don't know when the judgment day will be. Let's go to Matthew chapter 24 again, that this generation that Jesus says in answer to that question concerning the destruction of Jerusalem, 
This generation will by no means pass, I'm reading at verse 24, until all these things are fulfilled. That is the destruction of Jerusalem. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my word will not pass away. Concerning that day, that is the day heaven and earth will pass away, the end of time knows no one, not even the angels of heaven, but my Father only. Mark's account in Mark 13 adds that not even the Son knows. And so thus, if I don't know when the day of judgment is coming, it behooves us to live like it's today. I need to behave myself like the judgment is going to be before I go to bed tonight, that I may face judgment even before this day is over. Now that tells us a little about the day. Let's move and talk about the judge himself. Who's going to be the judge? Now if you're going before a judge in a civil court, suppose you're in trouble with the law and you're going before a judge, you would like to know something about the judge. Some judges are fair, some judges are not fair. Some judges judge according to the law, some judge in, in disarray with the law. I want to know something about the judge we stand before in the day of judgment. Well, all judgment is with God. Let's turn to Hebrews chapter 11 and in verse 6, this great passage on faith is a passage that talks about he that comes to God must believe that he is and that he's the rewarder of those that diligently seek him. That's a description of judgment. All judgment is indeed with God. Now we see this also in 1 Peter chapter 1. I know these are saying basically the same thing. I'm just trying to, again, compound passages to give an impression. And here's the biblical picture of the judgment. Look at verse 17, 1 Peter 1. And if you call on the Father who without partiality judges according to each one's work. So God without partiality judges. Well, we're going to forego 1 Peter 2, 23. We see the same thing there that God has all judgment. All judgment is with God. Now, God has committed judgment to his son. In John chapter 5, verse 22, God has committed all judgment to the son. That was an argument that Jesus was using for the fact that he indeed was divine as he had claimed to be. And when they was questioned about that, one of the arguments he made is God has committed all judgment to the son. And so God's going to judge. Look at verse 27 of the same context of John chapter 5. If you've already turned there, if not, let's turn over to John chapter 5. And notice in verse 27 that he said, he is given authority to execute judgment because he is the son of man. So God has given all judgment to the son. God has appointed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness by that man whom he has ordained. So we're going to be judged by the one that was raised from the dead. We already looked at Matthew chapter 25, the judgment scene where all nations will be gathered to him. And he executes judgment and uh, uh, renders some to the right and some to the left, those who are the sheep and those who are the goat. In Acts chapter 10, 42, God has ordained him to be the judge. So repeatedly we're seeing this principle, God has committed all judgment to the Son. 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 10, we will all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. So Christ is going to be indeed the judge. He is said to be the judge of the living and of the dead. And so repeatedly the text says that Jesus is the judge before whom we stand in the end of time. Now that being the case, he then is the perfect judge. Let's go to 2 Timothy chapter 4 and in verse 8. He is described in 2 Timothy 4 and in verse 8 as the righteous judge. Notice he said, I've laid up, finally there's laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge. Hebrews chapter 2 tells me something about why he can be a righteous judge. He lived as man and therefore he knows suffering and he knows temptation. He lived among men so he understands the human side of things. Furthermore, Hebrews chapter 4 says in verse 15, he was tempted in all points like as we. That's what makes him a perfect high priest. 
So he's the perfect high priest because he lived among men. He didn't sin, but he understood temptation. He faced it just like we do. He lived a life as a human. And consequently, then he understands the vantage point of man. He becomes then the perfect judge, knowing the divine will of God. He knows the divine side, but he also knows the human side. And that makes him indeed the perfect judge. So now I know the day, something about the day. There is a day, and I don't know when, but at the end of time, we're going to face judgment. I know Jesus will be the judge, and whatever judgment he renders will be fair. Let's talk about those who are judged. Who is it that's going to be judged? Now go back to Romans 2, at least in your mind. I'm not looking at a particular verse, but in Romans chapter 2, the, what we see is a picture of the Jews pointing at the Gentiles, telling them, you're going to face judgment. And what Paul is saying in Romans chapter 2, have you forgotten that you also are coming into judgment? It's not just Gentiles, it's Jews too. Perhaps we think the same way, that we may look at the world who's living corruptly and they're living ungodly and we say, you know what, they're going to face judgment. That person is going to face judgment and they're going to give an account in the day of, of judgment. They'll stand before the judgment seat of Christ. But have we forgotten we face that judgment too? Well, let's explore what the text says. The text tells us that all who had ever lived, all who have ever lived are going to face judgment. Look at John chapter 5. Jesus said in verse 27 and 28, all that are in the graves will hear his voice and shall come forth. They that have done good unto the resurrection of life and they that have done evil to the resurrection of damnation. So that's all that are in the graves. Everyone, everyone who's ever lived is going to come forth from the graves and they'll be called to the judgment according to John chapter 5. We already read, in fact we started in, in our second verse we even mentioned this evening was Acts 24 and verse 25 or verse 15. And that passage says that there's going to be a resurrection of the just, a resurrection of the just and of the unjust. And so those who are just and those who are unjust are going to be raised from the dead. That's everyone. And they're going to indeed face the judgment in the end of time. We go back to Matthew chapter 25 and verse 32. All nations are gathered to him. Well, if you're a part of all nations, which you are, then you're going to face indeed the judgment. Let's go to Romans chapter 2. Now, we said, I said we'd keep coming back to that. You can't talk about the judgment without making an appeal to the second chapter of the book of Romans. And I want you to notice with me at verse 5 and 6. Let's drop down to verse 6. God will render to each one according to his deeds. So God, if God renders according to each one, that means I'm going to be at the judgment. You will be at the judgment and so will everyone else. Look at now at verse 6 of chapter 3. Verse 6 of chapter 3, he said, certainly not, for then how would God judge the world? I'm just trying to build the concept that all men who ever lived are going to face judgment. We see the same thing in Revelation 20 of all the dead. Now let's establish the fact that no one is exempt and no one will escape. Let's go back to Romans chapter 2 and in verse 3. The Jews seem to have a concept, we are the children of God. The Gentiles face judgment, but we're exempt somehow. So look at verse 3. He said, or do you think this, those who judge, uh, who judge practicing the same things, that you'll escape the judgment of God? Is that what you're thinking? And seemingly that's what you think, that you, because you are the people of God, you're the Jews, you'll escape the judgment of God. Same chapter now, verse 11 says, God is no respecter of persons. If God calls the Gentiles into judgment, but he doesn't the Jews, he's a respecter of persons. If God judges your neighbor in the day of judgment, but he doesn't bring you to judgment, he's a respecter of persons. So no one is exempt and no one will escape. Even angels are included. You remember in 2 Peter 2, Jude 6, 
These are parallel verses. They say essentially the same, that God has taken those angels that sin and reserved them in change under the judgment of the great day. So they are reserved to judge. Even angels are not exempt. They're included in the day of judgment. They're going to face judgment like everyone else. Now let's establish the fact that when we're judged, we're still describing those who are judged, we're going to be judged as individuals. Back to Romans 2, 6, we've already read, God will render to each one according as he has done. In other words, we're going to be judged as individuals. Romans chapter 14, verse 12, each man will give an account of himself to God. You can't give an account. You can't go to the day of judgment and say, I'm, I'm here representing Donnie Rader. You can't do that. I can't say, I'll tell you what, I'll represent you in the judgment. And whatever punishment comes, I'll take that for it. I can't do that. God's going to render to each one, everyone gives an account of himself. 1 Peter chapter 1, God's going to render to each one according to each one's work. So it's an individual judgment. We're not going to be judged as a church. I wonder sometimes if we don't have a concept that if I'm in the right church, God's going to judge us by a church. And if I'm in the group, I get to enter in by the group. Or we're, maybe our concept is we're judged as a family. I'm in a good family. They're a Christian family. And we'll be judged as a family to be right. We're not judged as families or as churches, but as individuals. Now I know the day and I know the judge and I know those who are judged. Let's talk about the standard by which we are going to be judged. What standard is going to be used to judge us? If you go to a civil court, it's the law of the land or the law of the state or the law of the city or whatever the law may be that you're violated. You're going to be judged by that. Did you violate that law? What standard is going to be used? Let's talk about some things that are not going to be used. First of all, it's not the world standards of what the world thinks to be right. In other words, it's not going to help me in the day of judgment to say to the Lord, you know what? In fact, the Bible tells us some are going to argue with the Lord. It's not going to help us at all to think, Lord, you know what? The world thought this was okay. Most all of my neighbors were doing the same thing. And so consequently, I'm just doing what the world thought was right and what I was told to be right. I'm not going to be judged by the world's standards. We're not going to be judged by our own thinking. It is not a man that walketh to direct his own footsteps, Jeremiah told us. Proverbs tells us there's a way that seems right unto man, but the ends thereof are the ways of death. Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 4 that it was a little thing that he should be judged by them. In other words, it didn't, his point, if I might paraphrase, that it really doesn't matter what you think. And I'm not concerned about what you think. What I am concerned about is the will of God. And so if I learn anything from that text, I'm learning that what brethren may think and what others may think of us is not the standard by which we're going to be judged. What is the standard? The standard is the Word of God. Jesus said in John 12 and verse 48, we need to know this passage and know it well. Jesus said, He that rejecteth me and receiveth not my words hath one that judgeth him. The words that I have spoken shall judge him in the last day. Paul said in Romans chapter 2 and in verse 16, He'd be judged according to my gospel. God will give, will give an account even for our secrets according to my gospel, he said. And then Revelation chapter 20 talks about standing before God when the books were open and another book was open, which was the book of life. What I want to suggest to you is that does not change. What my neighbor thinks, what brethren thinks, what the world thinks, what I think of myself may change. The word of God never changes. That's the standard. That's why I need to know it. That's why I need to live it. That's why it needs to be taught. The word of God is the standard by which I'll be judged. Now let's talk about the deeds. What kind of deeds are going to be brought into judgment? In other words, what is it we're going to be judged 
over? What, what kind of deeds are God, is God going to bring to judgment? Say, this is what I want to judge you over. This is the, the things you did, and on, based on that, here is the judgment I'm rendering. What are those deeds? Perhaps we have the concept that it's only the evil deeds for which we give an account. But let's see what the Bible says about the deeds. We're going to give an account for all of our actions. Let's go to 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and in verse 10. This ought to be a little sobering to us to read in uh, these passages what we're going to face in judgment. There's a judgment day coming. We'll stand before the judge. We'll have to stand on our own two feet. Our parents can't stand for us. Our brethren can't stand for us. Our children can't stand for us. And we're going to have to give an account for all of our actions. We must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ that each one may receive the things done in his body according as he has done, whether good or bad. In other words, your good deeds are going to be brought to judgment. Your bad deeds are going to be brought to judgment. So we're going to give an account for both. <coughs> Revelation chapter 20 is a picture of a judgment scene. We'll get to this in our Sunday morning Bible class later. But just a passing reference there at verse 12. That I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God. And the books were open. And another book was open, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged according to their works. By the things which are written in the books. They were judged according to their works. Matthew chapter 25 mentions that we might be judged by our deeds or the lack of those. You say, I haven't done anything wrong. Maybe what we didn't do. The picture in Matthew chapter 25 is some would say in the day of judgment, Lord, when did we see you hungry and not fit? When were you in prison and we didn't? When did we do that? Focuses on what they failed to do as well as what they may have done. So we're given account for our deeds or the lack thereof. Ephesians 6 and in verse 8 talks about that whatever is good that one does, he will receive the same. That tells me that when I do good, I'm going to be judged according to what I've done, as well as those things that are evil. Hebrews chapter 6 emphasizes that God will not forget our work and our labor. So when you do that which is right, you're obedient to the will, God doesn't forget that. When you disobey the will of God, God doesn't forget that either. So all of our deeds, all of our actions are going to be brought into judgment. Let's add something to that, be a little more specific. Our words are going to be brought into judgment. Let's go to Matthew chapter 12. It's not just what I did. It's not just those overt actions. But Matthew chapter 12, I want you to notice with me at verse 36 and 37. But I say to you that every idle word that men shall speak, they'll give an account of it in the day of judgment. Every idle word that we speak will give an account thereof in the day of judgment. That tells me that then I need to be careful what I say and what I tell and what I repeat. Because in the day of judgment, what I talk about and what I utter out of my mouth, I'm going to give an account. James 3 said that, that many ought not be teachers, knowing ye shall receive their greater condemnation. We give an account for what we teach and what we say. So I need to be careful in what I instruct. I need to be careful of what I tell others or what I encourage. Because I give an account for that. We have indeed a strict judgment. But there's something else I want to add to that, and that is we give an account for even our thoughts. Notice in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, and in verse 5, God will reveal the hidden counsels of the heart. Therefore, judge nothing before the time until the Lord comes, who will both bring to light the hidden things of darkness and reveal the counsels of the heart that each one may praise uh, each one's praise will come from God. 
In other words, even that hidden thoughts of the heart, God's going to reveal in the day of judgment. The thoughts that I've had, I'm going to give an account. That's why it's important to control our thoughts. We're to bring even our thoughts into captivity to Christ. Not only my overt actions, even my thinking is to be brought in submission to the will of God, 2 Corinthians 5 and in verse 10. But not only that, we're going to give an account of our secrets. Our secrets, Romans chapter 2, this is in that passage we've talked about several times already, where there is judgment for the Jews, that in that day when God will judge the secrets of men by the Jesus Christ according to my gospel. And so God will bring in even our secrets, the things we've kept to ourselves that no one knows. Here's something I did, something I said, something I thought, and no one else knows that's my secret. God's going to bring that into the day of judgment. So you think how alarming that is to think that all of my actions, all of my words, all of my thoughts, and all of my secrets are going to be brought into judgment. But let's add one more thing and the lesson will be yours. Let's talk about the purpose of the judgment. What is the purpose of this judgment? What's this judgment all about? Well, perhaps we think that the judgment is going to be like going to trial and going before a judge or going before a jury in a civil court today. And that's not the purpose that's described to us in the New Testament. This is not going to be a trial or an investigation. There is no biblical evidence that the judgment day is a day where it's going to be like a trial where evidence is presented and counter arguments are given to determine whether you're guilty or not. There is no indication, there's no evidence that you're going to go before the judgment seat of Christ and you're going to argue your case and maybe someone argues for you and here's the evidence that you did what was right. Here's someone else presents evidence that you did that was wrong and then God kind of weighs that out. No evidence that that's the case at all. Hebrews chapter 4 tells me that God is all-knowing. All things are naked and open to the eyes of him with whom we have to do. And thus he already knows who's guilty and who's not. There doesn't need to be evidence presented to God that I was obedient. Nor does there need to be evidence presented to God that I was disobedient. If God is the all-knowing God, Hebrews 4 and in verse 12, then God already knows whether I'm guilty or not. Now let's make an appeal to Luke chapter 16, which we've already done in previous studies. Luke chapter 16 is the story of the rich man and Lazarus, where the rich man died and Lazarus died, and they were separated by a vast guff, a great guff. They are in the Hadean realm, but they're not in the same area. There is no evidence that that's a parable, but that's a true, real story of life beyond the grave. So they are both in paradise, they're both in, in Hades, but one is comforted and the other is tormented, awaiting the judgment day. So if Luke 16 teaches me anything, it demonstrates that God already knows the destiny of those who have died, like the rich man, like Lazarus, like your loved ones, like you if you die. God already knows your destiny. So what is the purpose of the judgment? It's not a trial or an investigation. It is a time to declare a sentence that you are sentenced to eternal hell or you are awarded the glories of heaven itself. So let's see Matthew chapter 25. Let's take a couple of these passages now that deal with this concept of the judgment. Matthew chapter 25. Now remember Matthew chapter 24 ended on the note that we don't know the day nor the hour when the end of time comes. So Matthew chapter 25 said the kingdom of heaven is likened to ten virgins. Talk about preparing for the judgment. 
And verse 13 of that same context, ending that parable of the ten virgins, watch therefore for you know the day nor the hour when the Son of Man is coming. Be ready for judgment. Then there's the parable of the talents. Now following that, beginning at verse 31, when the Son of Man comes in his glory and his holy angels, he will sit on the throne of glory and all the nations will be gathered to him and he will separate one from the other as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. So here's the picture I want you to see. What Jesus is doing is declaring a sentence in the day of judgment. He is separating the sheep from the goats. And he will, notice at verse 34, the king will say, this is the judge, this is a picture of the judgment, to those on the right hand, come ye blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. And here's why. I was hungry and you visited me. I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you took me in. I was naked and you clothed. Because of what you did, you're coming into heaven. Look at verse 41. He will say to those on the left hand, depart from me, ye cursed and everlasting fire prepared for the devil and his angels. And here's why. I was hungry and you didn't feed me. I was thirsty and you didn't give me drink. I was in prison and you didn't visit me, etc. Because of what you did. No evidence, Matthew chapter 25, that this is a trial trying to weigh out the evidence. God already knows. Here's the sheep and here's the goats. Here's those who are on the right and those on the left. And there is the separation. That's the purpose of the judgment is to declare the sentence. That's the picture of Matthew chapter 25. Now Romans chapter 2 says God's going to re render to each one. That's a declaration of the sentence. Let's go back to Romans 2 and see if that's not the picture. We've already read several of these verses, but let's get the picture. This is a chapter describing the picture of the judgment. So what does he say? Look at verse 3. Do you think, O man, who judge practicing the things that you shall, uh, uh, that you shall escape the judgment of God? What about the judgment of God? Look at verse 5. But in accordance with your hardness and impenitent heart, you are treasuring up wrath in the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God. This is when God reveals his judgment. Now let's drop down to verse 8. But to those who are self-seeking, let's back up to verse 6. Eternal life to those who by patience, continuance, and doing good seek for glory, honor, and immortality. He's going to need to give eternal life to some. But to those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteous indignation and wrath. Now, he already knows who's going to get to that. Tribulation and anguish to every soul that does good. But verse 10, honor and glory and peace to everyone who works what is good, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. It's a declaration of the sentence. Now, notice in 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, beginning at verse 7, Jesus is coming, taking vengeance on those that know not God. In other words, he's executing his judgment, rendering the sentence and declaring the sentence. Jude 6 and Jude 15 suggest that the angels that sin, verse 6 particularly, that God is coming in judgment to declare his judgment. He's going to declare and execute his judgment. So what have we seen in the story of the judgment and what the Bible says about the judgment? What have we seen? Well, six simple points. The day of judgment. What about the day? Well, it's going to be in the end of time. It's going to be at the second coming. Be after death. We don't know when that'll be. That could happen before the hour is through. And so we need to live in such a way that we are ready for the day of judgment. We're going to face a day of judgment. There's a day when, when God will declare his sentence. Then we saw the judge. The righteous judge. Jesus is the righteous judge before whom we'll stand and face judgment. Who's going to be judged? All men. That's me and that's you. Every one of us. What about the standard? It's the word of God. 
What about the deeds, every deed? Your thoughts, your words, your actions, things you didn't do, it's going to be brought into judgment. What's the purpose of that judgment? To declare a son. It's not a trial. You're not going to be able to argue your case and persuade otherwise because I didn't obey. But here's the reason I didn't obey. God's going to declare a sentence. And that's what takes place in the day of judgment. Are you ready for the day of judgment? If you're not, would you come believing that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God? Would you repent of your sins, acknowledge your faith, and be buried in the waters of baptism for the remission of sins? If you're subject in any way, would you come while together we stand and while we sing?